Whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Fellows, it's good to be back in the studio with you guys. It's great having you join us here on Saturdays on Bot Radio. And we are talking about not really a problem passage in the Bible, but we are zooming way out. But I will start it with Second Corinthians. Well, it Timothy. is a problem passage. Well, it, it's more of just a problem. <laughs> it's a problem passage that's not in the Bible. That's right. Okay, but let me read Second Timothy 3.16 because it says... All scripture is breathed out by God, okay? All scripture is breathed out by God. But here's the problem. How do we know what scripture is breathed out by God? How do we know for sure that the 66 books that I have in the Bible that's in my hands right now was breathed out by God? Table of contents. Go to the table (laughs) of contents. How do I also know that... What if on the nightly news tonight, some archaeologist in Jerusalem just was digging in in the palace of David and just found a whole new collection of writings? Should we add that and maybe now there's 67 books? Table of contents. 2 Timothy 3.16 will apply to those things that were just discovered. Well, yeah, Paul's always talking about all these other letters we don't have. You know, what if we find one of them? You know, what about the... The letter to the Laodiceans, he mentions that, right? Where's that? What if someone finds it next week? Table of contents. Well, What's the matter with it? I don't know. I'm just thinking about all the things that I've written. I'd like to slide one of my books in after Revelation. So what, I object. Sam, they were good books, but they're, they're not that good, okay? Classics, so, but I don't know if they're timeless classics. But, but we can laugh about it, but the question is, why or why not? Yeah. What criteria to what are we appealing when we uh, exclude... Uh, um, Michael's new book. Now, what is it? Now that I'm a Christian, free advertising. Well, let's make this even worse because uh, I just walked over to my Roman Catholic friend's house last week, and we were looking up some verses together. And he has a different table of contents than I have. Now, what do I do with that? We got two different tables of contents. Well, and let me add this: What do you say when you? What do you mean when you say table of contents? Are you talking about Athanasius's Easter letter? from the 365 AD where he says here are the books of the Bible and he doesn't include Esther and he does include Baruch which is in the Roman Catholic table of contents but not in the Bible I have in my hands. Melito's so, table what? of contents. The table of contents from okay, uh, so the, now council, you have, the Council apologize of to our listeners. This is a nerd alert. <laughs> the, uh, the Council of Contents from uh, the Council of Carthage in 389 uh, 389 393, 402, all of these ones that came together and established a table of contents. So wait a minute, Michael. So are you saying that men in the early church decided what was going to be in the canon? Did the church create the canon that I have, have sitting on my knee right now called the English Standard Version? English Standard Version. What is the? Where, where does that table of contents come? Where does the NIV table of contents come from? Where does the NAS? Where does the King, King James table of contents come from? Okay, this is starting the, the, to sound the, the, like no, a comedy sketch show. People may not know this, show. but they are not 
common i mean the table of contents are not inspired well and you keep asking questions we want answers but now you're making me even more nervous because you're throwing out dates that are hundreds of years after jesus ascended into heaven what what took the church so long yeah, well, and I think, I mean, one answer that I would give you of what took the church so long is the church was suffering incredible persecution. And so they were in survival mode. Uh, they were reading scripture. Uh, we know that books of the Bible were being translated. We found, we, we own manuscripts of scripture that were are way before, from the 100s AD. Uh, and so I, I could make a case to say, well, it took until the 300s until uh, Christians weren't being murdered at such rate, rates that they could actually reflect a little bit and say, hey, here, you know, it's been a while. Here are the books of the Bible. Yeah, here's my list. Let me see your list. Let's see if our lists match up or overlap or contradict in any way. Sam, do this because you're going to say it better than me, but talk about that dynamic of how there were sort of differing lists of what should belong in the canon in various parts of the geographical early church. No, no, I got a better question for Sam And those lists didn't necessarily contradict one another. Why, but... What are you asking me? Are you both of you, I think Tim should be put on the spot. No, 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 no. This, this is a question. We'll get to your question, but Sam, it says in Revelation... I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from them, from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life. Isn't that the end of the canon? Aren't we done? I mean, revelation has been complete. You've written a book on prophecy. You should know this. Is this the end? (laughs) <laughs> well, I think it's the end of the book of Revelation. It's the, it's the words of this prophecy. I think I don't think he's talking. I don't think we can apply it. Some would say we could. Yeah, Wayne Grudem has done that. I think it's a little bit of a tenuous argument. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that he's talking has about... He really? I did not know that. Yeah. I think he's talking about the book of Revelation. But you're wondering, does this extend to uh, the 27 books of the New Testament? Yeah. Or, or the entire Bible? I don't think so. But um, certainly... If somebody tried to add to the words of this book that I'm holding in my hand, I would have a very strong reaction against that, needless to say, because I believe that God, through the Holy Spirit, by means of the divine providential um, oversight of the thinking and the prayerful uh, evaluation of the early church, impressed upon their collective consciousness what was inspired and authoritative and binding on the conscience of all Christians forever. I don't think that any council or any group of individuals sat down and by virtue of an authority that they had as men or as the church said, okay, um, Epistle of Barnabas, you're out. Um, Second John, you're in. Um, Shepherd of Hermas, mm, maybe, but close, but not quite. But Romans, oh, definitely. I don't think that's how these books came to be included in what we call or the canon. Or as if there was some type of big controversy, like there was um, this this canon fiasco. Everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. The church had to finally step in in some authoritative way and say, guys, I know there's total confusion and nobody knows what's going on, but here we are to save the day. 
it's it's something that and concerning this passage in Revelation, it's a repetition of the Deuteronomic Code. It says the same thing: don't add to or take away from these words. Or in Proverbs, don't add to or take away from the words of God. It's just a general proverbial statement: don't ever add to or take away from the words. So our our idea of canon does have to come from someplace else. There is not a canon. There is not a list of books. Have we even defined canon yet? No. There is not a list of books in in the Bible that tell us what books belong in the Bible. And so it does come from some other place outside of the Bible. Uh, Actually, it comes from within the Bible itself. In other words, I would say that the the books that we now acknowledge as part of the C-A-N-O-N or canon, one in, not the big gun that you know, yeah. was used in the Middle Ages to and the Civil War. Canon, meaning rule or standard. Um, I believe that the books that God intended to be included were self-authenticating. Um, they vindicated themselves, as it were. They impressed themselves on the conscience of God's people. And so there, there was no external criteria. It wasn't as if the early church sat down and they developed uh, 10 tests or 15 criteria, and they said, all right, does Romans measure up? Let's see, check this, check that. Does Shepherd of Hermas measure up? Well, it got 12 out of 15, but it fell short on three, it's out. I don't believe that's how it happened. I don't believe that's the, because if that's what happened, then what's really authoritative is the list of 15 criteria and not the books of the Bible themselves. Well, and I think for our listeners, it's important to understand that what Sam is describing is this idea of self-authentication, and I lived most of my life as a Christian never hearing about this. So the first time you hear about it, it's a little overwhelming. You know, when you start to press into the canon discussion, maybe you have some skeptical friends that have been reading a book by someone like Bart Ehrman, and now they have a bunch of questions for you, and you realize no one's ever talked to you about this, Mm -hmm. and you go and start doing a little bit of research. I know this happened to me. I felt quickly overwhelmed. It felt as though it were a little fuzzy, the way the canon came together. It felt a little shaky. I was hoping for something very clean and neat and defined, quick and dirty. You know, within the first 60 years, they got together and they figured it out, the Jerusalem Council, and it was done. This sounds messier, but it's good for us to remember that God works through means, and he used human history and the unfolding of of these documents, and he superintended their transmission. We have to believe in his ability to preserve and make sure that what's in there should be in there. This does require a measure of faith. This isn't raw empiricism, Mm -hmm. you know, that that we have this sort of scientific test to decide whether or not we think it got pulled off. It requires a measure of faith in a God able to create the canon, in essence. But I want to reassure our listeners that if you spend some time reading, uh, you know, there's a book called The Question of the Canon by Michael Kruger, and he'll answer sort of some of the technical questions you might have, but it's still very uh, enjoyable to read. It's understandable. The Question of the Canon by Michael Kruger. It came out two years ago, published by Crossway. And I think what you'll find is at first you're overwhelmed because you haven't really thought deeply about these things. And then on the back end, you'll have even deeper confidence, even deeper conviction in God's uh, beautiful working out of this plan. Yeah, and one thing that I have to teach when or mention whenever I'm teaching this is the pushback sometimes to be like, it sounds supernatural. 
like it sounds like the way we have the Bible is supernatural. Like, and it's kind of like, is that the best you got? Yeah, give me you an know? empirical scientific explanation. Yeah. But yeah. then I'm like, well, did you read what it's talking about? It's yeah. talking about, I mean, the first verse is a supernatural, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. I okay, mean, I'm going to disagree with all of you on what? about the, about so the you, self-authenticating nature of the canon. How about supernatural? Are you disagreeing? That, no, no, no. I'm not disagreeing means? with the supernatural, but I don't see what you guys see whenever you say it's self-authenticating. I might see it in certain books, but whenever it comes to books like 3 John, I don't read this and say, this is canon. I don't read books like Ecclesiastes and say, this has to be here. I don't read books like Esther and say, I totally understand why this is here. I read it in a different way. I read it as the community of God coming together and the community of God having a self-recognition, not an authoritative structure, not a council that came together, not a pope, not a bishop, not a, a, a fourth century gathering that it was officiated by uh, Constantine, but there was just this general acceptance. Whenever John wrote something, it went out and people knew it was from John and John himself was already authenticated. And so the things that were known to be by him were were automatically accepted. It was an organic acceptance. It was an organic community acceptance. Whenever Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, it was not as if they got together and had a council and said, should we accept these or not? Well, okay, it it but, was an organic acceptance. Why? Because it was Moses. Yeah, but I think we're all agreeing that it organically happened, but can't we say it organically happened under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit organically caused it all to come together exactly how he wanted it to Well, happen. sure, you can say the same thing about our little council here, though. You know, it's if it's but true— we're not putting Scripture uh, No, together. no, what we're saying is if it's true, then that is true. But what we're trying to figure out is— how do we know it's true? Because there are differences. There is an Ethiopian canon. There is a Catholic canon. There is a Protestant canon. There are a variety of canons out there. How do we know what it is? And this is, this is one question I have for you, Sam. The, the a Catholics, the, one of the main, uh, the Roman Catholics, excuse me, would say that Protestants, you guys have a fallible canon of infallible books. You believe the Bible's infallible, great. It's your authority, great. But you don't have a fallible canon that is inspired. The reason why we can believe in the Bible more than you is because we have an infallible canon of infallible books because the canon itself was pronounced by God through the authority of the church. So basically what you're saying is you believe you, they have an infallible canon because they are an infallible church. That's right. Yeah, and of course I, I would look to the contents of that canon and say, show me a text which predicates that of the church, and there is no such text. I don't believe there's any passage in the books that we acknowledge as being inspired which gives the church that kind of authority. So do we have a fallible canon of infallible books? Define what you mean by fallible canon. Is our canon that we have inspired by God to the degree that the books of the Bible are inspired by or, God? Or could we say, like, you could teach, be absolutely 100% confident that the ESV Bible you have in your hands is every book that God wrote. It is absolutely the Word of God. I, I have that confidence. I feel like I can say that. Because I believe that the books 
that constitute what we call the Protestant canon, these 66 books, have an intrinsic authority, a power by virtue of the fact they were inspired of the Spirit of God that impresses themselves upon the collective consciousness of God's people. And we see this working out under the providential hand of God, such that the early church eventually came to that conclusion. So now, the Roman Catholics push back and they say, oh, but we've got some books that we also think ought to be included in there. And when I read them, I don't, I don't sense uh, in my spirit, and I certainly don't see in the conclusions of the early church, that this is God's universal will for his people throughout all history. Because the fact of the matter is, it wasn't until, what, the uh, uh, Council of Trent in the 16th century that the Roman Catholic Church finally settled in a dogmatic fashion on the apocryphal books as being part of their recognized canon. Can I ask this question? Does this really matter? Like, are we kind of like getting our panties all in a bind here? Um, because you can't uh, say panties. <laughs> sorry, I I, uh, I withdraw my previous comment. But <laughs> so here's we have you, Athanasius you say underwear. Uh, underwear are, is our underwear in a bind here? Because is God looking down from heaven saying, guys, all of you have in your hands enough. You all have enough from me to know who you are. Uh, my view of you, uh, to know who I am, to know who Jesus is, the one that I've sent for you. And if Athanasius didn't think Esther was in the Bible, if uh, I think Esther is the only book that wasn't found in the Dead Sea Scrolls as well, of all the Old Testament books, um, like, is it potential that we have Esther and maybe we shouldn't have Esther, but God's like, eh, it's a good story. Don't worry about it. Here's what I would say. I would say in some sense, very, very true. That's mm-hmm. right. But I, I don't want to leave our listeners with that because— it, Because it, I'm too dangerous? Is no, that, no, no. That, it's very good. But if Is you it leave my it, underwear comment or all the other stuff after n- that? No, it's, it's, uh, it's that I know you're wearing underoos, so that doesn't <laughs> yeah. make a difference. Um, but listen, we have—all of us start with fallibility no matter what. You cannot escape that. Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, us as Protestants, when we're sitting in here and we are opening the Word of God and we are giving our understanding, it's fallible. We could be wrong. It doesn't mean that we're likely wrong. It doesn't mean just because we could be wrong, everything's up in the air. Every one of us has to start with the arguments. We have to expound the Scripture. We have to exegete the Scripture, bring out of the Scripture what we believe to be in there through proper biblical means. And so when we come to everything, even Roman Catholics, when they believe the church themselves personally, they believe it fallibly. They could be wrong. Every one of us start with fallibility. And so I have no problem. R.C. Sproul actually says this. He says, we do have a fallible canon of infallible books, but it doesn't mean that we are likely fallible about the canon. We, we can believe in it and have absolute confidence, even though we do not have perfect, inspired confidence in the same way we don't have with our interpretation. So what you're saying then by fallible canon is that we cannot with mathematical certainty say these are the 66 books that God designed to be in I, I like I like inspired certainty. Well, we're, we're all in agreement here that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Nobody, we, we have absolute, uh, we, we would give our lives 
on for the sake of that mathematical truth. Would we do the same for the 66 books that are now in Scripture? Or is, is Tim fudging on Esther? And is are you fudging on Third John? And are you saying, well, there's a remote possibility that uh, these were not designed by God to be included in uh, the canon of what we consider to be inspired well, Scripture? Well, and I'd even go a step further. I would say I think it's dangerous for people's faith. Now, I love the Word of God. I read it. I memorize it. But I think it's dangerous for people to put all of their cards in making sure all 66 books are, are the exact ones and there are no additional ones. Like, I think we should put that focus on the resurrection. You know, so like if someone came up to me and said, you know what, First John, actually, we've all decided it's not supposed to be in there anymore, and you've preached a couple sermons on it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't walk away from the faith. I would ask the question, well, is Jesus still alive? And if they said, yeah, Jesus is still alive, I'd say, well, I don't really care. Here's, okay. a, here's a little bit of a pushback, Tim. You know, this <laughs> this reminds me of Rob Bell and Velvet Elvis saying, you know, if we found evidence Thank in the sands of time. Thank you for just comparing me to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, if we found evidence in the sands of time that the virgin birth is not actually true and, and, and Jesus had a physical father, you know, that wouldn't shake my faith. You know, sounding a little bit like, uh, 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 you know, Schleiermacher or something like that, you know, Dang, warmed so over. you've compared me. <laughs> and Rob Bell. And Rob no, Bell. What, what, what I'm saying, though, is I think some Christians make too big of a deal off of every single letter of the Bible. You know, like if they, even them finding out that the English translations may not be, you know, that it is a translation, that, that Paul did not write this in English. He wrote it in Greek. Well, let me, like, let me even finish my thought. You don't even, all, they, yeah. they can, that can ruin someone's faith. And I'd say, put your faith you in feel Jesus. Like I'm about JJ's to getting his you, panties but... in a wad. Let yeah, him talk. He's already <laughs> compared me to Rob Bell and Schleiermacher. So. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. Let me, let me, oh, no, 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 Michael. JJ, yeah, yeah. You, you, have the floor. you have the floor. Thank you, Sam. So basically, the criticism that came back to Rob Bell was there's a sense in which that's technically true, you know, that that, that doesn't necessarily undermine uh, the historical Jesus who did these things and rose from the dead. But in another sense, it's a very slippery slope because now what you're saying is, well, if I can't trust Scripture on the truth of the virgin birth— what else can't I trust Scripture on? So I think we need to be careful there in the sense of if God wasn't able to superintend this process where he fumbled, what does that say about his ability to orchestrate events that he's trying to carry out? Okay, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, I think for me, though— I'm not, I'm not with okay. you on that. Well, well, okay, I was getting I hope you all didn't hear Michael say that. <laughs> no, go ahead, yeah, Tim. Well, no, what I would say, though, is like if there's somebody in my church that—so I get what you're saying, J.J., but if there's somebody in my church that every time I see them, they're asking me questions about the canon uh, that's all they're thinking about and they're just so fixated on the canon and they're all their time is spent on websites where I they're agree from that perspective can, i would say like hey relax this you're is the rub bell now yeah. <laughs> no i would say you're right we start with the resurrection and we work outward and i can build the entire old and new testament canons on that upside down pyramid of yeah. jesus rising from the dead in space-time history i agree you work backwards with a person and you start with essentials but i still think the canon's important and sam's going to tell you why well, I, no i <laughs> I just want to make sure I get in two comments, and then I'll let Michael close this out with whatever heretical opinions are are brewing and turning in that little head of his. Number one, I have such confidence in the love God has for his people that I trust his providential oversight of history in bringing the people of God into a collective uh, conviction concerning what books are to be included in Scripture. Secondly, I do not believe the church created the canon. I believe the canon created the church. The church is the product of the Spirit of God working through the Word of God to bring into existence the people of God. So 
we can just stop there, and that, that sounds like a good place. But don't, Michael, don't mess it up, Michael. Michael wants to say something. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, I believe that uh, Jesus created the church, not the Bible created the church. But that, that's oh, nitpick, <laughs> nitpick. JJ's okay, okay, listen, me listen, too. listen. Back to this real point. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce in his his classic book on the canon said, by the end of the first century, the Pauline corpus, which means his thirteen letters and all of the Gospels and Acts, were already in circulation. We have evidence from this from the Bible itself. You give me those. You give me all of the Pauline corpus. You give me the Gospels and Acts. You give me John alone, and I will establish Christianity. I will go against Bar Ehrman and every other skeptic out there, and I will say I can establish Christianity, the main points of Christianity, based upon that small canon. And that is, that is important for us to understand how established Christianity was in the first century. As long as that doesn't undermine our listeners' confidence in the authority of the rest of the books of the New Testament. <laughs> I'll let you end with that. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast. If it's blessed you, they'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to join the group again next week for another edition of Theology Unplugged. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House. They're a theological hub and coffee shop, and their address is 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma, 73013. They're open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Please consider this your official invitation. You're invited to come and visit the Credo House and discuss today's program or take a tour of the theologically rich surroundings. You might also enjoy one of their signature drinks like a Luther latte or a Nicene mocha. In fact, if it's your first time in the Credo House and you mention that you heard their program on Bot Radio Network, you can have the drink of your choice for free. For more information or to support this ministry, visit credohouse.org.